Welcome to the Masculinist Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Wren. To keep up with all the content and subscribe to my flagship newsletter, please visit themasculinist.com. And now for today's episode. Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. This is actually my second take on the podcast. I just went through and recorded an entire 25-minute podcast, and when it was done, discovered that the audio was trash. So I was going to go back and just try to edit it and clean it up, but it was so bad that I just have to re-record the whole thing. So hopefully it's actually better the second time around. I want to shift gears a little bit this week and do a straight-up self-improvement podcast. Haven't done one of those in a while. I don't know if I've ever really done like a straight-up self-improvement podcast but this is one I hope you find of interest. One of the most important things that we need that is incredibly difficult to get is knowledge about what other people really think of us. I've said it many times, everybody has a rap sheet. The only question is whether we know what's on ours. Again, everybody has a rap sheet. The only question is, do you know what is on your rap sheet? Do you know what other people are saying about you when you are not in the room? So a good example, a few weeks ago, uh, a listener to this very podcast sent me an email and said something to the effect of, Aaron, I know you're a bald middle-aged consultant, but you don't have to sound like one on your podcast. And you might say, ouch, ouch. And you say, you know what? That's actually true. If you go and listen to the podcast, I do sort of come across as kind of a boring consulting guy, right? And so uh, this is from someone who I think basically liked the show. This was not someone trying to trash me, tear me down. This is someone who's trying to give me some practical input to help me be better and just happened to do it in a very direct way that I thought I thought was great. I thought it was great. So I've actually been trying to improve on this. I don't know if you've noticed any changes in the way that I do intonation on the podcast one of the things that you will be told if you ever go, especially if you ever go on TV, but if you go on the radio, on the media, people always say you really need to exaggerate your expressiveness because you think that you're being very dynamic and then you listen to it and like, wow, that sounds very boring. So you have to a little bit be over the top sometimes if you just want to seem normal. So how to do that without looking and sounding cartoonish is a little bit of a challenge. And that's part of what it means to be good going on TV or whatever. And, you know, I did a great seminar uh, a few years ago. Actually, Tony Shea, uh, the CEO of Zappos, who died recently, um, he invited me out to uh, Las Vegas to see what they were doing out there. I was one of the people they invited, got to stay in the crash pad, and they were doing this really great self-improvement seminar with all kinds of top-notch people. And one of them was a voice coach who talked about how you need to almost have a melodic intonation in the way that your voice rises and falls and pitch, almost a little musical in the way that you speak. And I took some notes, but, you know, things like that are very hard to really internalize and get well, require a lot of focused practice. So I've been trying to be a little bit more dynamic. I've also been trying to be a little more conscious of trying to eliminate verbal tics from my voice. I have a lot of them. I notice this every time I listen to a talk that I give somewhere. I'm like, wow, I need to improve on that. But I, you know, I would really like to make some improvements in this area of you know my vocal quality, particularly if I'm going to be a podcaster and you know a YouTuber. You want to actually have really good voice quality. So I would like to 
get some voice coaching uh, or take some sort of an online, you know, class on voice. So actually, if anybody has any great references on that stuff, send it my way. I really want to make some improvement. And then it may not always be comfortable to hear things like that, but is it better to know it or to not know it? And what you will find is that people rarely give direct feedback about what they really think. It's sort of, especially in the American DNA, we just tend to be very, uh, you know, pleasant in the way that we deal with people. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? There's not a lot of, you know, really direct, you know, uh, real talk when it comes to interpersonal relationships. In my experience, even bosses who are explicitly chartered with telling, you know, their, you know, people who work for them, their subordinates, what they need to improve on, rarely actually do it. I've sat in annual rating meetings, you know, at big corporations, listening to people talk about this person versus that person, their strengths, their weaknesses, in order to decide, like, who's going to get the biggest raises, you know, who's going to get the the worst raises that year. And I just think it's so rare that the things that are being said in that room are ever conveyed to those people in a form that they could actually use. And there's an old quip, but it's a true quip. Without awareness... There is no choice. Without awareness, there is no choice. If we don't know what is on our rap sheet, then we don't even have the opportunity to be able to correct it. One of the things that I have also observed is that sometimes the best feedback you get comes from your critics and even your enemies, because these are people who don't have any compunction about telling you negative stuff. That's, in fact, what they're motivated to do. They are looking to wound, and the best weapons to try to wound someone are often weapons that are true, that they're real. Uh, You know, of course, it's not always fair. You always have to sometimes sift the fair from the unfair, but sometimes there's a lot of grain of truth in that. Just as an example, for example, yes, I am bald, which doesn't bother me at all, but... You know, if you're going to say, be a critic of me, you say, Aaron, start making fun of me for being bald or something like that. That would be like a classic dig. And of course, it's actually true that I am bald. So the critic who's sort of trying to make fun of me for being bald is someone who's conveying some true information. Now, obviously, I know that I'm bald, but you can see that same principle being applied to other things. The people who are criticizing you uh, are often conveying some information about you that's actually true that might be a good nugget for you to know. Now, applying the law of projection, we know that they are also providing some information about themselves, uh, but that will be for a different podcast. I actually want to share some examples or an example of some feedback that I received from some executive coaching as an example of what people really think and what people really say about you when you're not in the room. And this happened when I was a senior manager at Accenture. It was probably about the year 2000 or 2001 or 2002, somewhere in there. It was in the wake of the uh, dot-com collapse. And my boss said, hey, let's send you to executive coaching. And, you know, I call it charm school, uh, for example. And that's that's maybe a negative take on it. And I think a lot of people uh, who uh, are told they should get some executive coaching take it as kind of a negative but it's actually a positive. If, if you work for a company and they say they want to send you to executive coaching, they're spending a boatload of money <laughs> making that happen. And they're not going to make that investment 
unless you, they think that you actually do have some potential. Now, it did happen that the person my boss selected for this was actually extremely good. She worked with the very top people, Fortune 500 CEO types. A lot of her business was in communications. So if a CEO had to go on CNBC, she would be someone that, you know, he might call in to prep, prep him to go do that. You know, I, I like to say she's the kind of person who, when her clients come to her, their chauffeured limousine uh, just stays outside and, and idles outside the building waiting to pick up the, the guy after he comes out. And that's really, you know, an example of the kind of people that she works with. So that's one of the reasons I got such great feedback. I will never forget how my boss teed up this idea of going to executive coaching. He said, Aaron, even Tiger Woods has a coach. Now, this was when Tiger was really at the top of his game. I think Tiger was the face of Accenture at that time. And so this was just really a good way to do it because it's affirmational. It's like, hey, you are a talent. You are like a Tiger Woods. You're really good. But hey, even the best talent needs to have coaches to help them deploy that talent in the right way. And so if you are a boss, if you are a mentor, yes, it's your job to bring these faults to life, but it's also your responsibility to spin up people's receptivity in order to take that in and not just be offended. And, you know, the reality is people not only don't know what's on the rap sheet, most people really don't want to know. We don't really want to know the negatives. We should want to know, but we often don't want to know. So how can you make them receptive? I thought the Tiger Woods, was it, even Tiger Woods needs a coach line was a great one. So maybe you want to take the figure of, of your choice and use that. Um, I've never actually used that on someone. I've used a different thing that I'll show you in a minute. But I thought that was a good one. How do you position negative feedback uh, as a positive, as an affirmational positive? And you will notice that the way that I approach the masculinist incorporates this very idea because my content strategy is heavily driven by receptivity of the mainstream. So I could say, make it rain red pills, you know, and, and say, I'm just going to drop some truth bombs on you and all this stuff. And yeah, that might get me even a bigger audience than I have today. Uh, it might, you know, generate a controversy and draw a bunch of eyeballs and there's a place for that. We need people who do that. But if you want to reach like a normal person with a message that might be deeply counterintuitive, such as, hey, the servant leader idea is deeply flawed, you have to think not just about the content, but you also have to think about the delivery vehicle. How do you convince this person first that to see that, hey, maybe there are some problems in this concept of the servant leader, and then you got to somehow spin up the receptivity. So spinning up receptivity to negative feedback is very important. Um, so that's equally as important sometimes as, as delivering it to people if you're, if you're a mentor. So one of the things that my executive coach did was, first thing she did when I went in there is she got some 360 style feedback. Now, I don't think she actually took people who worked for me. I didn't really have any subordinates at that time. We were working on this strategic initiative. Uh, but she asked a whole bunch of people around me uh, for feedback and then consolidated it. And so I want to read you some of the feedback that I got. And so here's quoting from uh, the summary of the feedback. He comes across very sure of himself, mostly in a positive way, but not always. He stands and sits awkwardly. There's something about his head. 
He never really looks at you, and that puts people off. It creates unease. He's got to change that. What can you do for him with his posture? Aaron should lift up his face. Look straight on at people. He has a nice face, but he looks at you through the tops of his eyes with his face down. Maybe he's shy or something. That's off-putting. He's got his shoulders hunched, his head down all the time, not just when he's thinking or stressed out. It just gives an I'm closed signal. I'm not available. Some unfortunate synergies there. He talks too much. I don't notice what he looks like. I notice he's talking. A lot. Socially, Aaron could maybe be warmer. He comes across friendly but distant. Maybe he's a little awkward. I wouldn't say much, just a little. He doesn't make eye contact. He needs to stand up straight, look a person in the eye, and keep his head up. Most of our meetings together have been internal, and he seems friendly, but not about to show any interest in anyone else. Seems a little closed off in that regard. For example, we were going over the other day how we're going to collect information, read their understanding, acceptance, even their enthusiasm. I couldn't tell if he was on board. They couldn't either. They needed affirmation or feedback. So if someone's that quiet, what's that about? It wasn't like you could just go on about your business, you know, ignore him. He's like this bigger presence in the room then because everyone starts wondering what's going on with him. I mean, he's physically there, paying attention, but there's not enough physical stuff to show his feelings towards the whole affair. I really like this guy, but that's exhausting. So that's just an excerpt from the first page, <laughs> okay? And I mean, that's pretty harsh. And I have shared this document with people before, and it has never failed to make an impression on people. And I mentioned I have a different tactic if I want to spin up people's receptivity to hearing some negative feedback or suggesting that they might want to get some feedback, I just give them a copy of this and say, hey, read this, and this is what I got. And I think one reason it resonates is because people could say, yeah, there's some truth in it. I see some of what they're talking about there. And what this shows is that good feedback is highly invasive, personal, and uncomfortable. It gets in your business. They talk about clothing, right? For example, there's some stuff in there about how I needed to start wearing a, a sport jacket every single day. This was at a time when essentially we had gone to a business casual world and now there was something of a rubber banding back where at the upper levels, people were starting to dress a little more formally again, not really in suits, but uh, sort of quasi suit like. And, you know, I hadn't fully picked up on that. Like hey, you need to be wearing a sport jacket every day. They talk about your personal appearance. My boss, when he was trying to make partner and somebody sent him through executive coaching, and by the way, this is where the projection comes in. People sent him to coaching. He got this kind of feedback. And so naturally, this is what he wants to provide to others because he received it. People told him, you need to shave off your mustache if you want to make partner. Right? That's harsh. The coach that I had, she actually worked with a CEO on a weight problem. You know, if you're like an overweight CEO, that's not a good look. And that was a real thing. And, you know, she's obviously super high emotional intelligence. And so she didn't just drop a bomb on him. She sort of gradually brought him around to the point where he said, hey, yeah, I want to talk about my weight. We need to talk about that issue. And these are things that very, very hard to say, very risky to say today. I think that's one reason there's so much self-improvement content on the internet because people aren't getting good mentoring. I mean, you'd almost have to be an idiot 
to deliver feedback like that to a millennial or Gen Z person. They turn around and try to destroy your life. It's just too risky today to provide this kind of feedback unless you're in some kind of super hyper-trusted relationship. And so uh, the, the people who've really done well have found that and been able to get that feedback that they need. And I've thought a lot about why I was able to get this kind of feedback through this process, but the typical 360 kind of feedback that corporations do generally is not all that valuable. And so I want to share some of the structural items that I observed that I thought was uh, very, very positive. First is I had a trusted mentor to stage manage the whole thing. My boss, Frank, we had worked together for years We'd gone through wars together. I owed my career to this guy. I had seen how loyal he was to the people who worked for him and committed to their success. This is someone that I could trust. And so that's very important. A second factor is that it was low stakes. And that's why most formal programs are worthless. Because any corporate survey, even just a corporate engagement survey where they say, oh, it's all anonymous, all this and that. People are pulling their punches. They're writing as if everything that they're writing is going to come to life, right? It's going to be seen what you actually said. And it's the same thing with this 360 feedback corporations do. Often everybody knows that it's going to be used in the performance evaluation of the person receiving it. And so it's calibrated that way uh, personally. So like think about Uber ratings. So I always give Uber drivers five-star ratings. And I'm a tough grader normally. I don't like to just give, hand out five-star ratings, but I know the game. If I give this guy a three-star rating and just say, oh, he was average, I'll give him an average rating, he might lose his job because if you don't have like a four-point something, they like fire you. So essentially, yeah, I'm playing the game, and so I give the guy the five-star rating. But maybe he could have gotten some feedback from me. Or something. That's kind of a hokey example, but, but you get the point. This is low stakes. It was not going to be used in any evaluation of me so people would feel free to speak freely. And one reason that it was done that way is because it was conducted by a third party. So it was conducted by a third party and the only person who actually received a copy of this feedback was me. So they outsourced it to this uh, executive coach. She collected the information, collated it, gave it to me. Now, I do believe she gave a copy to my, to my boss. Uh, but, you know, I, again, this was like a high, super hyper-trusted relationship. And obviously, he already knew all this stuff, right? He wasn't, it wasn't like this was news to him. He's making sure that this gets conveyed back to me in a process that allows me to take it in and actually action it. And he's, by the way, he's spending thousands of dollars just to do that. He could have just told me himself. But this was sort of a stage-managed process, but it was super highly valuable for that. And so... I'm the only one, theoretically, who got a copy of it. It was conducted by a third party and not going into uh, my evaluation, so it's it's low stakes. One of the other things I know, I don't know for sure who even gave the feedback. It's not just that it's summarized and anonymous. I actually can't tell you who the people were who gave this. I could probably name one guy uh, you know, off the top of my head. So I'm sure there were some people that I could probably guess, but... Uh, you know, I didn't even know. So there's a range of possibilities, but it was sort of selected by her in consultation with my boss. And so I think if you, if I were doing it today, I might say, yeah, like, here's, you know, 20 people you could potentially solicit for feedback. And, you know, maybe they pick three or four of them, but I don't know exactly who's on the list. And then, of course, obviously, I had like a top tier coach who just really, really knew what she was doing. Again, 
This was super helpful and effective. I've never seen a process like it. Now, it was very expensive. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And so you're not going to be able to do this unless you're at a pretty high level in an institution. But some of you I know on this podcast actually are, you know, pastors and people who are in, you know, major organizations, institutions. Some of you are high level. So this might be something that you could potentially use both to get feedback for yourself or to, um, you know, use as a process for other people. I thought it was very helpful. Again, you know, it's not going to be applicable to everybody, but what I think it shows is this is the kind of feedback that you need. These are the kinds of things people are saying about you when you're not in the room. Now, this helped me tremendously, but it did take close to a decade before, quite frankly, I made serious change in it. Some things have improved a lot on eye contact. You may notice that I did an entire masculus on my eye contact drills. I really had to perfect, you know, uh, work hard to make eye contact with people. One of the things I realized was I never made eye contact with people. It was like some bizarre defect. I, I don't know exactly how it came about, but I just never made eye contact with people. Now I can make actually make strong eye contact with people. I also did a masculinist on my posture. My posture has improved, but you've probably noticed if you've seen videos of me, if you've ever interacted with me, my posture is still not great. It'll never be great. I think once you get one of these kyphotic postures, you never really fully correct it. But again, I've made I've made some improvements. And you might be saying, Aaron, I, you know, some of those things might actually still be true today. And you're right. I haven't fully changed all of that. Maybe I've only made some level of improvement. So one of the pieces of feedback that they gave to me was, you know, essentially that I'm not enough of a team player and not enough of a go along to get along guy. Sometimes, you know, even when you disagree, you just need to kind of go along to get along, be on board, telegraph your enthusiasm, all of that stuff. And you know what? I'm much, much better at that than I used to be. Um, you know, I'm I'm definitely on board with the team uh, when I'm working on a team environment in a way that I was not back then. Uh, but I still have a sort of constitution that's willing to go against the consensus and willing to go against the grain. And if I didn't, there wouldn't be a masculinist, right? You wouldn't be listening to this right now. Uh, I'm not autistic, but I do think I'm somewhat towards that end of the spectrum, maybe a little bit of touch Aspergery. And so that is one reason I'm willing to kind of say things that other people won't say. Also affects my interpersonal relationship skills. Uh, so some things that you just can't overcome, right? There's some things that you sort of a little bit hardwired uh, into you, uh, but you could still make some improvements. So one of the things that you know I've done with some social situations is I don't necessarily have the, you know, the internal natural flow, but I sort of have a script and I know you need to do all these things in order to like really be socially the right way. And so it doesn't maybe come across as smooth, but, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But the key is if I didn't even have this info, I wouldn't even have the opportunity to have been better. Again, without awareness, there is no choice. So I'll close with a few thoughts. Um, again, it's absolutely important to figure out what's on your rap sheet. Everybody's got a rap sheet. No matter who you are, the kinds of things people were saying about me in that feedback are the kinds of things people are saying about you when you're not in the room. The only question is, do you actually know what they're saying or are you just totally ignorant about what they're saying? Secondly, uh, 
having a mentor is super, super important, a trusted mentor. I don't think it even has to be someone who's, uh, you know, professionally higher level that can open doors. That, that sort of mentoring is important. Just someone who can help bring this information to life. It's so valuable to have a trusted relationship of someone like my old boss who is willing to do this stuff and also thought a lot about how to stage manage the process to actually deliver the feedback in a way that's very important. Another Accenture friend of mine used to say, a great mentor is someone who sings your praises in public but kicks your butt in private. Uh, So that's important. And being willing to be a mentor to people, I think is important. I think, yeah, we got to be smart. You can't just go around delivering feedback to people today, especially these younger people. They'll destroy you. That's just a reality. And so, yeah, it's unfair maybe to the younger people who would use that well, but we have to respond to what the market is is signaling. And then I'll, I'll wrap up with a question of what to do about the feedback. What do you do when you get feedback like this? And in essence, there are essentially two ways we can respond to an analysis of our strengths and weaknesses. We can try to improve our weaknesses, make them stronger, better, or we can lean into our strengths. And most people today seem to suggest that the best thing to do is to lean into your strengths. Say, look, you're never going to make it to the next level, to the highest level by fixing your weak spots. You get there by leveraging your strengths. And I think there's some truth to that. But there's also this idea that in some of your weaknesses, maybe you need to have some minimum level of competence, right? If your social interactions are so bad, if there's something about your personal appearance or your clothing, your style, if there's things that are reparable, why not repair them so that you don't gratuitously take yourself out of the game? I think you do have to have some level of attention to weaknesses. But as you go up the food chain, it's also the case that sometimes you can compensate for your weaknesses by having someone on your team uh, or someone you're working with who complements you. They have strengths that are good where you're weak, and maybe you have some strengths that are you know good where maybe they're weak. Just as an example, when I would run projects at Accenture, yes, I can do project management, but the really blocking and tackling of just daily managing all the activities, you know, going through the the Microsoft project plan, looking at all the dependencies and the critical path and, you know, the cost performance index monitoring and the budget, all that stuff. And, you know, I can do it, but it's not my favorite and it's just not my natural inclination to be an operations person like that. And so often what I would do if I had a big enough project I was running and I could afford to carry the budget, I'd hire a chief of staff who really did the blocking and tackling and allowed me to focus on a lot of strategic or other issues that needed attention. A lot of what I would do, for example, is fight over staffing, <laughs> fight over resources. So I'm doing a lot of fighting over resources uh, while other people are uh, focusing on the day-to-day deliveries. So that's an example of finding someone to compliment me. But then again, I did, you know, I did buy a jacket. You know, I did do a number of things to try to improve myself as well. So thinking about how you want to strike that balance between leaning into your strengths and, and um, improving your weaknesses is something to think about. Maybe get some different perspectives on it. Probably depends on what it is. But again, I, I'd highly encourage you to think about, man, what's on my rap sheet? Really, really, really important because without awareness of that, you don't even have the opportunity to take action on it. So thank you very much. And I'll be back again with another podcast and hopefully the audio on this one sounds okay.